Welcome to Barely Audible Whisper, a weekly NPR parody podcast in no way associated with NPR, brought to you in no part by the following parody sponsors. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, ignoring science to send children back to school to learn science, all the while wondering why American children lag behind in science. The Trump University School for Political Tricks, Job Creation, and Vaccines, where prematurely releasing an unproven vaccine right before the election will create millions of vaccine-related jobs as the vaccine industry searches for a vaccine to vaccinate against the damages caused by prematurely releasing an unproven vaccine. And the President Donald J. Trump Foundation for Mathematical Education Techniques, because sending children back to school before it is safe is an effective way to teach the children that survive how to subtract. I am Dave. And I am Molly. And our voices, like school children in the eyes of our president, are weak and therefore expendable. Our top story this week. As part of a blatant attempt to steal re-election, President Trump's politically appointed Postmaster General is deliberately sabotaging the United States Postal Service to suppress the votes of record numbers of Americans who intend to vote by mail this election to avoid contracting COVID by congregating in crowded polling places on Election Day. For more on the President's plot to steal the election, Barely Audible Whisper turns to world-renowned art thief Thomas Crown. The name's Crown, Thomas Crown, and as the world's foremost art thief, I enjoy a carefully planned high-stakes heist. And there are no higher stakes in the world of high-stakes heists than stealing an American presidential election. Due to COVID, more people want to vote by mail, so I'm abusing my position as the Postmaster General to slow down the mail so that people's ballots can't be counted on time. How Devilishly opportunistic. What's the game plan? Well, the first thing I did was eliminate overtime for postal employees so that they don't have enough hours in the week to do their jobs properly. A move that obvious must have required an ingeniously clever subterfuge. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. Check this out. What do you mean you're cutting our overtime? That makes it impossible for us to do our jobs. The Postal Service is losing money. We're not supposed to make money. We're a service, not a business. That's why the word service is right there in our name. You mean to tell me that you're attempting a crime as consequential as stealing an election? And the best excuse you could come up with is that you wanted to make a not-for-profit service more profitable? It's a bad business model. Of course it's a bad business model. It's not a business. If you think that was brilliant... I most certainly do not. Then you'll love this next move. So you're gonna come in here and take away all of our mail sorting machines? That's right. I ordered the removal of mail sorting machines from post offices in swing states. What possible reason could you have for removing the machines that makes it possible for us to do our jobs efficiently? Because? Because what? Just... So, you just removed invaluable equipment from post offices in swing states without providing any reason whatsoever. Yeah, pretty clever, right? You mean to tell me you put even less thought into a plot to hijack the American presidential election than you did the plan to delegitimize the election by complaining about mail-in ballots, even though mail-in ballots are actually to Trump's advantage in states like Florida. Oh, we figured out a pretty brilliant 
workaround to let Trump benefit from mail-in ballots in Florida. As always, our Trump impersonator is a woman, because we hear he hates that. Mail-in ballots are a Democrat hoax, except in Florida. So, your strategy is to declare that all mail-in ballots are subject to fraud, except in states where they help Trump? Please tell me you came up with some sort of explanation for a lie that obvious. Of course we did. And this explanation is almost as good as explaining why we removed mail sorting machines, finding no explanation. Mail-in ballots in states where people mail-in ballots for Trump is called absentee ballots, which are great because absentee is great, but mail-in is a hoax. This is the laziest incompetence I've seen since Trump's COVID response. But there's more. Mail-in ballots are fraud, except in states like Florida, where the governor is blindly loyal to me because governors that do everything I want all the time can be trusted to do not fraud. But Democrat mail is a conspiracy against me because not cheating for me is cheating against me. Good God, with excuses that flimsy, the president might as well just publicly admit that he's purposely defunding the Postal Service to sabotage the election. He did. In an interview with Fox Business, he said exactly this. They need that money in order to make the post office work. But if they don't get those items, that means you can't have universal mail-in voting. So he's just stealing the election completely out in the open. This is absolutely unprecedented. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails. Okay, so there's one precedent. I am the president. You heard what I said. It's a the CARES Act, which brought desperately needed relief to workers and small businesses during this disastrous COVID economy, expired in July. So, of course, President Trump waited until August to do anything about it. After several days of failed negotiations with the House of Representatives, the President gave up on passing a bill that was actually useful or even legal, and instead signed an unconstitutional executive order that, even if it was legal, would not actually help anybody. To better understand exactly how stupid the President's executive order is, Barely Audible Whisper turns to our Bizarre Analogies correspondent. Hello, I'm Barely Audible Whisper's Bizarre Analogies correspondent, which is like explicating bad open mic poetry because it's weird, unnecessary, and nobody cares. The president took bold and powerful and American action by giving up on negotiating with un-American Nancy Pelosi and Americanly allocating American federal funds. That was White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany, who was like, if dishonesty fucked stupidity and gave birth to a ministry of propaganda. Even though the un-American American Constitution says that only Congress can allocate money. The most basic elementary school level understanding of government includes the knowledge that only Congress has the authority to authorize spending, but the White House insists that the president can simply order spending because he can't reach a deal with Congress. 
which would be like a defendant in a robbery case pleading. Your Honor, I didn't steal the money. I asked if I could have the money and he wouldn't give it to me, so I took it by force. Not guilty on the grounds that you asked first. Not only is the president's executive order completely illegal, it also fails to accomplish anything it claims to want to achieve, like Jesse Smollett. The president's executive order is a huge boost to unemployed workers who are getting $600 a week. But the president's plan boosts 600 all the way up to 400 First of all, the White House claims to be helping workers by giving them less money, which is like eliminating COVID cases by not testing, which should be a bizarre analogy, but it's not because that's what the president also wants to do. The federal government only pays 300 in the states who are on the verge of bankruptcy because of our failed coronavirus response have to put up like a hundred. Worse, the very president whose failure to federalize the national COVID response decimated the budgets of state governments is now demanding that the states pay for their own federal relief, which is like an arsonist demanding to be paid by the fire department. And if the states don't spend the money, which we have no legal authority to make them pay, then the workers in that state get nothing. Even worse is if the states refuse to pitch in the extra $100, then the workers in that state get nothing, which is like robbing Peter to pay Paul, except instead of paying Paul with Peter's money, you also rob Paul and then demand that Peter pay Paul with the money you already robbed from Peter. The second part of President Trump's plan is to help workers and small businesses by reducing the payroll tax. A payroll tax reduction provides next to no money for the workers and small businesses who need it most, but provides a huge windfall for giant corporations who have lots of employees and therefore high payroll taxes. That's like robbing Peter to pay Jeff Bezos. Or American capitalism. Additionally, the payroll tax is used to fund Social Security and Medicare, which means that workers will likely receive less money as a tax benefit than they will lose as a result of Medicare and Social Security cuts, which is like robbing Peter to pay Jeff Bezos and then robbing Peter again to make up for the money you lost by robbing Peter the first time. No, because even though the payroll tax funds Medicare and Social Security, and even though we didn't come up with an alternative plan for funding Medicare and Social Security, we're claiming that somehow Medicare and Social Security won't lose any money. That's like saying the virus will disappear just like a miracle, which again, should be a bizarre analogy. The third part of the president's plan extends the eviction and foreclosure moratorium by not extending the eviction and foreclosure moratorium, but rather by directly providing money to people who are facing eviction and foreclosures, not by actually providing them with money, but by promising that we intend to try to look into ways to find some money in the budget. Seriously, that's what the executive order does. It simply states their intention to look for some money in the budget while millions of Americans are losing their homes. That's like brutally beating Peter with a baseball bat, but telling him it's okay because you sent Paul to a sporting goods store to buy a helmet, so maybe If they have a helmet in stock that fits you, then Paul might eventually show up with something that might make the beating hurt a little bit less. 
President Trump is such a great negotiator that he couldn't negotiate a basic disaster relief bill. So he stopped trying and cobbled together a bunch of illegal nonsense, which is all Nancy Pelosi's fault for insisting like a socialist on a comprehensive and legal plan for actually solving problems. This whole thing is like... Yes, Your Honor, I robbed Peter. And I robbed Paul. And I set everything on fire. And I beat Peter with a baseball bat, and I fully intend to rob Peter again. But in my defense, pretending to solve problems is much easier than actually doing work. And Nancy Pelosi is very mean to me. I find the defendant not guilty by reason of work is hard and Nancy Pelosi is mean. Republicans and Democrats are each mourning one of their black leaders who passed away within the last month. Democrats mourn the Honorable John Lewis, who was a civil rights icon who held elected office for 33 years. Republicans mourn Mr. Herman Cain, who I simply call Mr. because he lost every time he ran for elected office. Lewis died after a battle with pancreatic cancer. Herman Cain died of COVID-19, which he made a public point of not taking seriously. Lewis sacrificed his liberty and risked his life to fight for a better life for his people, a fight that he continued until his death. Kane's legacy consists of mediocre pizza and numerous failed attempts to demonstrate that a black man can win Republican support. Of course, it is unfair to compare anyone's legacy to John Lewis. He did more to make the world a better place in one lifetime than the entire cast of Barely Audible Whisper could do in 50. But, since Fox News personality and reason white people hate ourselves, Tucker Carlson raised the question of how to appropriately honor a deceased political figure. Imagine if some greasy politician showed up at your loved one's funeral and started throwing around stupid partisan talking points about Senate procedure, desecrating a funeral with campaign slogans. What kind of person would do that? And since Herman Cain's team has taken over his website and Twitter account to post messages such as this. Kamala Harris has a ton of baggage and a political glass jaw. She's awful. Tulsi has already demolished her once. Should she get the chance to do it again? We decided it was a fair time to invite comparison between the two men. That's right. Just two weeks after Cain's death, his account was tweeting again and initially without changing his name. Hello, Herman Cain here, speaking from beyond the grave to remind you to vote for Trump. This was understandably alarming to his followers, but the people managing the account soon cleared things up. Hello, I'm Dr. Melanie Cain Gallo, speaking as Herman Cain instead of on my own account, and I am proud to say that Herman Cain was my dad. He believed in using his voice to teach, enlighten, and give hope. It's one of the ways he used this website every day, and he wouldn't have wanted that work to stop with his passing. Soon, they did change the account name to The Kane Gang and pinned Dr. Gallo's message to the top of the page with the caption, The Mission Continues. But what is this mission? Since Kane's death, the account was used for two days to share eulogies, condolences, and tributes. And in the past week, it's been used to primarily attack Kamala Harris. Herman Cain's eternal voice here. 
continuing my lifelong mission of trashing a political opponent. Did I mention that Kamala Harris is awful? Except that during his life, Kane's account more often did the responsible politician thing, where he attacks the positions and actions of his opponents, not their character or inherent value. Kane may have used his Twitter account to spread falsehoods, promote lying news networks, and drum up support for the worst president in history, but at least he wouldn't say this. Kamala Harris is basically a socialist. Also, she sucks. This may or may not be Herman Cain's ghost typing. The account did take a break from trashing Biden's VP pick to retweet this from Dana Loesch. The same left that ghoulishly celebrated Herman Cain's death now want to act like the people still running his account are doing so in bad taste. For fuck's sake, be consistent. Did we ghoulishly celebrate Cain's death? We definitely could have read our opening lines more ghoulishly. Republicans mourn Mr. Herman Cain, who I simply call Mr. because he lost every time he ran for political office. Herman Cain died of COVID-19, which he made a public point of not taking seriously. In summary, the Kang Gang, God, that name is awful, also tweeted this. This is a timely reminder. The Kane Gang consists of different writers who have their own opinions. We all lean right, but we're also individuals. Each piece reflects the opinions of that writer. That's how Herman wanted it to work. We have this Twitter account with a ton of followers just sitting here, and we all want to be able to say stuff without doing the work to develop our own followers. So we're turning my father into a brand that will hopefully be much more successful than Godfather's Pizza ever was. And we think that's an appropriate way to show respect. P.S. Kamala Harris sucks. Signed, Signed Herman, Herman Cain. I typing and typing with my fingers. How am I doing this? Chaos has erupted in the Eastern European country of Belarus, where the people have taken to the streets to protest authoritarian president for life, Alexander Lukashenko's fraudulent re-election. For more on this story, Barely Out of a Whisper turns to our Eastern European Democracy and Crisis correspondent, Riga Devote. Privet, I'm Riga Devote. Anchoring barely audible whispers coverage of the crisis in Belarus. For more on President Lukashenko's election rigging schemes, we turn to our Belarusian field correspondent. I'm coming to you from the White House where President Trump announced his plan to deny the Postal Service the necessary funding they need to process mail-in ballots, claiming that mail-in voting is a hoax. I, I am sorry, technical difficulties. That was American White House correspondent. We meant to go to Belarus. I'm reporting from Belarus where President Lukashenko is claiming to have won 80% of the vote, despite overwhelming evidence. Evidence is fake news. Reports that I rig election are hooks. Uh, protests have erupted in the streets of Belarus. Let's go back to Belarusian correspondent for coverage of President Lukashenko's reaction to protests. 
I'm coming to you from the streets of Portland, Oregon, where an unidentified paramilitary federal police force are grabbing peaceful demonstrators off the streets and throwing them into unmarked vehicles without officially charging them with anything. Sorry, technical difficulties again. Enough of the regular news out of America. Back to the tragedy in Belarus. I'm coming to you from the Belarusian city of Minsk where an unidentified paramilitary federal police force are grabbing peaceful demonstrators off the streets and throwing them in unmarked vehicles without officially charging them with anything. That is truly shocking news out of Belarus, where the president has engaged in an abusive pattern of discrediting the free press. I'm reporting to you from outside of the press briefing room where I'm no longer allowed because the White House yanked my press credentials for asking the president tough questions. Damn, these not-at-all-subtle technical difficulties. News media is enemy of the people. President Lukashenko has also abused the power of his own Justice Department to protect his allies and punish his enemies. Attorney General William Barr announced that he is dropping all charges against Trump ally Michael Flynn and focusing instead on investigating the investigators who dared to investigate President Trump. These technical difficulties get more heavy-handed each time, eh? My opponent in election I didn't rig mysteriously disappeared, just like a miracle. I'm coming to you from the CDC, where Dr. Robert Redfield, the head of the CDC, retracted his previous statement that was critical of President Trump, which he swears he was not pressured to do so by President Trump. I'm coming to you from a jail in Belarus, where detained protesters have denounced the pro-democracy movement they were just protesting in favor of, which they swear they are not being pressured to do by the soldiers pointing guns at them. I didn't even bother to bridge two parallel lines with the technical difficulties, excuse. I'm getting almost as lazy as a brutal authoritarian who doesn't even bother to try and seem legitimate anymore. In an interview on Fox News, President Trump refused to commit to accepting the election results if he loses. I refused to accept election results, even though I lost. Help! I'm being unlawfully detained! It is so sad to see what's happening in Belarus. Help! I'm being unlawfully detained! Thank God it could never happen here. Oh, help! I'm being unlawfully... Yet another Trump scandal that would have led to any other president's impeachment but has barely been mentioned in the news because even in a 24-hour news cycle there's too much incompetent corruption to keep track of. A career diplomat stationed in England has accused the president of ordering his hand-picked ambassador and multi-million dollar campaign donor to apply the full weight and force of the United States government to pressure Great Britain into moving the lucrative British Open golf tournament to a Trump-owned golf course in Scotland. And like every other scandal in which President Trump blatantly abused the power of the presidency for his own personal gain, the president even more blatantly abused his power to blatantly cover up the original blatant abuse of power. An inspector general report about the alleged bribery was filed in May, at which time the inspector general who filed the report was immediately fired, and the report was immediately made classified. An IG report investigating an ambassador discussing a golf tournament with the British government could not possibly contain classified information. 
Here to over-explain that obvious conclusion is legendary football announcer and chronic over-explainer John Madden. Boom! John Madden here! An inspector's general investigation is an investigation by the IG, uh, which stands for Inspector General. Uh, you see, you got the I and the G like that there, and that means Inspector General. Boom! So then you got your classified information, which is classified uh, because it's a secret. You know, you don't want to reveal your sources and your methods and your troop movements and your nuclear codes. Uh, so you classify that information like that. There, see, boom. Uh, uh, but a golf tournament is just a golf tournament, you know, which is a tournament where they play golf. So there's nothing classified uh, about talking about a golf tournament. Because when you're talking about a golf tournament, you're talking about golf. And golf is not classified information. But then you got your bribery allegations over here, like that there, boom. And and you might want to keep those a secret because, you know, you don't want people to know. But you can't just classify what you don't want people to know because, you know, you got your freedom of information like that there, boom. So when you got your classified information and your freedom of information, it's literally impossible to imagine a legitimate reason for classifying information regarding the location of a PGA golf tournament. But as part of our commitment to giving the benefit of the doubt to people who don't deserve the benefit of the doubt, barely audible whisper made one up anyway. As always, our Trump impersonator is still a woman, because we hear he still hates that. I need you to do me a favor, though. I already told you, we don't behead leaders' wives anymore. I hate the Me Too movement. You can't even cut your wife's head off for no reason anymore. It's a really tough time for men. This favor isn't personal. I need you to move the British Open to my golf course in Scotland. You'd profit millions off of that. How is that not personal? It's a matter of national security. Moving the British Open to a Trump-owned golf course is the only way we can defeat ISIS. Because ISIS hates America. But the only thing ISIS hates more than America is golf. Didn't you already claim that you completely defeated ISIS over a year ago? That was to lure them into a false sense of security. Like everything I do, it was a carefully thought through, not at all impulsive, multifaceted plan, which I adhere to with rigorous discipline. Obviously, you are always thinking many moves ahead of your opponents. But how does moving the British Open- It's an ambush. I interrupted you because even an imaginary competent version of myself is still very rude. If we combine their hatred of America with their hatred of golf, they won't be able to resist committing all of their forces to a full-fledged attack. Meanwhile, in Iraq or Syria or wherever the hell ISIS leadership is hiding out these days, do you know what I hate more than America? Women's rights. Alright, kill her. We still behead women for no reason here. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I hate more than America is golf. Really? Golf? I mean, it, it, it's just so frustrating. You, you hit a tiny ball with a club, then you chase the ball, you hit it with a smaller club, 
then you chase the ball again and you hit it with an even smaller club and eventually you hit the tiny ball with the tiniest club into a tiny hole and then you just keep doing that over and over again 18 times the only thing i could possibly imagine more torturous than that would be to watch someone do that on television while people whisper about it Oof. if there was an event that combined our hatred of america with our hatred of golf I would have no choice but to risk complete and total defeat by sending all of our soldiers and our entire leadership apparatus to attack that event. But uh, we'd be vulnerable to an ambush. It'd be worth the risk. I hate golf. Nobody plots most bestest military strategy than Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Democratic presidential candidate and America's mildly embarrassing but mostly likable uncle Joe Biden chose California Senator and throaty voice of justice Kamala Harris to be his vice presidential nominee. Senator Harris is the first black woman to ever receive a major party's vice presidential nomination. And boy are the Democrats proud of that historical tidbit. Wow, we nominated the first black woman for vice president in history. You know I ran for president, right? I am so proud of the fact that we put a black woman at the bottom of the ticket. I made one misstatement, and I fell in the polls harder than a Black Lives Matter protester being shoved by the Buffalo police. It is so enlightened for an old white guy to choose a black woman to serve the political needs of this historical moment. And my campaign ran out of money faster than a black owned business applying for a PPP loan. My arm is tired from patting myself on the back. I made one misstatement. And now I have to serve as the running mate for the guy who literally said this to a voter who asked him a slightly challenging question. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Meanwhile, as Democrats' arms grew weary from the exhaustive repetition of self-congratulations, our arms may be tired with self-serving back-patting, but nevertheless, we persisted. Republicans struggled to unify behind a consistent message of attack, as well as a correct pronunciation of her name. K. Lay Harris hates the police and wants to set all of the criminals free. Carmel Corn Harris was too aggressive as a prosecutor. We can't use two contradictory attacks at the same time. We need a more consistent attack on Kama Sutra Harris. How about Yo-Yo Ma Harris was secretly born in Africa? We already used that one on Obama. What if we say Camel Koala Bear Harris was born in Jamaica? I like it. It's like the birtherism with an island twist. Good luck dealing with that attack. Mama don't take my cold chrome Harris away. Even President Trump struggled to come up with a new line of attack, resorting instead to rehashing his Hillary insults from 2016. And for the third time, our Trump impersonator is a woman because of the rule of threes. Kamalama Ding Dong is a nasty woman. 
Russia, if you're listening, I hope you find karma, 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 chameleons, emails, lock her up, lock her up. As the president continued to find a line of attack that would stick, Come they told me Pa-Rumpa-Pum-Pum is nasty and gross, and she's poopy-doo-doo yucky face, and she said very mean things to Brett Kavanaugh just because he raped a woman. By way of comparison, lying dog-faced pony soldier actually sounds presidential. Senator Harris wasted no time attacking President Trump after being introduced by Vice President Biden. Uh, even though everyone knew I would run for president in 2020, uh, it took me it took me over a year to actually make the decision. And even though everyone knew I would eventually choose Kamala Harris as my running mate, it took me three months to make that decision. There has never been a candidate more perfect for the, the historical moment that they ran in than a man who drags out every decision for almost as long as 2020 keeps dragging on. And it is in that spirit of dragging on that I choose as my running mate, a woman who drags out every word she speaks for so long that she started her famous, there was a little girl speech when she was a little girl. President Trump inherited an economy that was growing almost as fast as Democrats' false sense of enlightenment over the nomination for vice president of the black woman they didn't vote for by the old white guy they did vote for. But just like everything else Trump inherits, Trump ran the economy into the ground. When you already speak in pauses, and you pause for effect, it creates a pause so pregnant. Mike Pence wants to take its right away. I'm, I'm literally holding back tears. I am so proud of how not racist it is to put a black woman who we could have nominated for president underneath the old white guy she's more qualified than. I'm crying, but I can't wipe away the tears because I'm using my tear wiping hand to pat myself on the back. I Thank you for listening to Barely Audible Whisper, starring uh, writer, co-host, and producer Dave Baldwin, co-host Molly Brown, writer and actor Daniel Carter-Brown, and actors Michael Morgan, Corey Burns, and Allie Glonick. Please check out BarelyAudibleWhisper.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast, or you can subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. We appreciate your support. Oh, like the pocket size extendable back scratcher. John, tell exactly, us about the extendable exactly. back scratcher. <laughs>
well, you know, you got a back and you got to scratch it. So you extend an arm and then it's an extension of your arm because you see you got your arm, then you got another arm that extends, which extends onto your arm and it's an extension uh, lets you scratch your back and, and you need extra for that one spot you can't get. So you need a whole other arm. Hubris. <laughs>